For those that remain in the auditorium and are watching online, take your Bibles if you would. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We've been in the book of Hebrews since the start of the year and are close to its conclusion. I think those at Grace were happier when we were done Leviticus than Hebrews, but uh, we have been enjoying, I hope, our time in this book. And in God's sovereignty, it is the perfect chapter and perfect passage, of course, for this weekend as we celebrate 50 years of God's goodness and faithfulness to us. Before we dive in, though, we did want to let our church family know that uh, Kevin Thorne's mother, uh, Joan, passed away this Friday. And uh, so we want to publicly let the family know that we are praying for them and are rallying around them with our love and support. Many of you already have. And we were just reminiscing a little while ago and talking to Kevin and Carolyn, and Kevin remembers when he was just old enough to drive, his mother bringing him here to Grace before this building was built. And now her great-grandchildren, many of them just walked out of the side door of the auditorium. And so her legacy of faithfulness we are grateful for. So we are in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 through 40 this morning. For those of you that were here for Andre's sermon at the back half of Hebrews chapter 10 and were sort of commiserating with him because I gave him a long passage, I have 36 verses to go through this morning. I managed to turn three verses into a good solid 40 minutes last Sunday, so we'll see what we can do with this passage before us. One of the things that comes out of this passage, obviously, it's just in your face, is faith. And the author of Hebrews writing to a group of Jewish Christians who are struggling whether or not they should remain in the faith, whether or not they should stick with Jesus or go back to Judaism, are struggling. And so the author of Hebrews, the pastor, has prepared this for his audience has challenged them at the end of chapter 10, and as many commentators said, you could just jump from 10 to chapter 12, and yet chapter 11 here obviously is given to us for a very distinct purpose. The author, the pastor, wants to let us know that many have gone through what we are going through right now, and not because of the greatness of their faith or the amazing reality of their spirituality, Purely because of God's faithfulness, they have been able to stick with Christ and go on for him. And so we want to look then this morning at this reality and remembering as well those who were at the beginning of our beginning here at Grace Baptist Church. Men and women who had faith to start Grace Baptist Church, to start Grace Christian School, and we thank God for them. And so the title for this morning is Certainty. These individuals were not certain of much as we go through this list, this hall of faith as it's known, but they were certain of one thing, and that is that God is who he says he is, and he does what he says he's going to do. That God is, and that he is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. They had great certainty. Now, if COVID-19 taught us anything, it's that there is not much in life that we can have certainty about. 
There are things, institutions, realities that we had put our faith in, if we can call it that, that that we had certainty of, and yet COVID-19 and other realities have shaken that certainty. We don't have certainty in medicine, perhaps to the degree that we may have had prior. We don't have certainty in science, again, perhaps to the degree that maybe we had before. Not sure how much certainty we had in politics, but we have certainly even less, if that's possible, if that can even register lower than it did going into COVID-19. There are not a lot of things in life that are certain. And what's interesting is I have a brother who is a forensic psychologist, and he reminded me of a couple studies that have been done. One study was done on individuals, and they were being interrogated by detectives and interrogators that gave leading suggestive uh, remarks and caused 73% of the participants to confess to a crime they didn't commit. And then there was another study done with adults in connection with their parents, and over half of the respondents, over half of the participants, came to believe that they had experienced something in their childhood that never happened. So we can't even be certain about our own minds, our own memories. It's kind of scary, actually, in some ways. I have those studies, if you want to read them. They're uh, good insomnia um, helping material for non-psychologists. But the reality is there's not a lot that we can be certain about, not even our own recall, not even our memories. But there is someone we can be very certain about, and that is God and his word. That is certain. And that is something that all of the individuals that are mentioned here in this Hall of Faith had. There is also, very quickly, something I'm quite certain of as we come to this passage, and that is most of us read it wrongly, and therefore apply it wrongly, wrongly or misapply it, I should say. Our tendency always is to make everything about us. That's how we're wired. Everything's about us. So we read these stories, and what do we do? First of all, we make it about the individuals in the stories. We've all been in Sunday school and children's church, right? Pray like Daniel, have courage like David. We make the individuals the heroes of the story, and then when we apply it, we make ourselves the hero of the story. And what I am certain of as we walk through this passage is that none of these individuals are the hero of their individual stories. God is the hero of all stories, And it is God that is the hero of this hall of faith. We need to turn our attention always to him, not to us. So if you are visiting with us, thank you for coming. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you, under the chair in front of you. In that particular Bible, it's on page 947, Hebrews chapter 11. And if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take that with you as our gift to you. We're going to jump to verse 32 and read verses 32 through the end. We're not going to read all of the passage this morning, but we will walk through all of it together. Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, 
escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is the word of God. In verses 4 through 6, our first point this morning is that God's goodness is certain. Again, these stories have very little to do with the participants in them and everything to do with the God who they trusted in and were certain of. We start with Abel, who sacrificed to God and was the victim of the first homicide in human history. So God is good despite evil and death. It's hard to imagine the highs of the Garden of Eden that our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, walked and talked with God himself. And then as they choose themselves as self-gods over the one true God and plunge the world into sin and therefore death, shortly thereafter, one of their sons kills another one of their sons. And it's difficult to imagine in times like that that God remains good. But it's true. God is the only certain thing in life. He and his word are true, trustworthy, and sure. And in times of death, in times of unspeakable evil and carnage and pain and suffering, God is good, always good. His ways are always best. God's goodness even triumphs over death. The next individual that is mentioned is Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Enoch walked with God and was translated or raptured up to God's presence, not experiencing death. The author of Hebrews contrasts and compares these two individuals. Abel, faithful, righteous Abel, believer in God, is murdered by his own brother. Enoch, faithful, trusting, righteous Enoch, was taken and did not, re- did not experience death. And so God is good, and his goodness triumphs over death. As one commentator said, in Abel, we can relate, because the reality is that death will come to us all. And yet in Enoch, we can also relate, because of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we will also triumph over sin and death through Jesus Christ. And through it all, God is good. And now verse 6, without faith is impossible to believe him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek them. Those that follow God, those that believe that God is sure and certain his ways are best, believe two things. Firstly, that he exists, and of course we go, duh. 
But the reality is there are many who do not, or at least say they do not. And yet that is not enough because it says in James that even the devils believe and tremble, but they do not repent. The missing element is this. We must believe that God is better than anything else. God is better than anything or anyone else. There's nothing certain in life, very little certain in life. Not even our own minds are certain. We can have those senior moments. We walk into a room and as we're standing there, we don't know if we were coming into the room or if we were exiting the room and why we're there and where we're going and where we've come from. Not much is certain, but God is certain and his word is certain. And those that trust in him, those that believe in him, know and believe that he is better than anything else. His goodness. Through all of the ups and downs in life, God's goodness is certain. Number two, God's plans are certain. The author highlights, the pastor highlights Noah. By faith, and you'll see this phrase repeated over a dozen times in this passage. By faith, Noah, being warned of God concerning events as yet unseen. You remember from last Sunday, part of the definition of faith in Hebrews 11.1 is the conviction of unseen things. God presents Noah with something that had not yet ever been experienced, a worldwide flood. And Noah builds an ark. He can't understand it fully. He's never experienced it personally. But he trusts the one who revealed his will to him. He trusts God and trusts his word. And so God's plans are certain even when we don't understand them. Even when we don't like them. Especially when we don't like them. God's plans are certain. And again, God is the hero of the story of Noah, not Noah. It is God's character on full display, not Noah's. In the third place, God makes the future certain. Abraham obeys, verse 8, going to a place that he did not know where he was going. Now, he had some idea of the direction, but did not know exactly where he was going to end up. He knows by promise from God, Genesis 12, that he's going to have a son, even though he is long past the age of being able to do that, along with his wife, Sarah, both of them, interestingly enough, laugh at this proposition from God that this would happen, and yet they do indeed receive a son from God, a miracle. God's promises then in verses 8 through 12 are certain. He had promised Abraham that he would have children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the heavens. I've repeated this promise three times to Abraham. And finally, it comes to pass, Isaac is born. God has promised us numerous things in his word. The one who has begun a good work in us through Jesus Christ will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I know whom I have believed. There are many promises of God's word. He will hold us fast. He will save us and bring us all the way home. He will never leave us, nor forsake us. He has promised us a new heaven and a new earth. And as the days go by, it's becoming increasingly more difficult to believe that that is the case, perhaps. But it's true. It's certain. 
The future is certain because God is already there. He is the great I am. Not only are God's promises certain, but God's promises are best in verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they're seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. King and country have a song called Burn the Ships, and that's sort of the idea. If we pine for the world that was, we will not believe and not experience the world that will be. And these individuals knew that as they traveled, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and these after him, the nation of Israel, they were sojourners, alien, aliens, foreigners in the land. They were looking for a better homeland, something akin to what is described at the end of the book of Revelation, where God himself in the new city Jerusalem comes down to the new earth reconstituted for his glory, something better. And so even though they had opportunities in the land of Israel, even though they had a little peace, although not everyone was able to experience this, even Moses is denied access. And yet they knew that what was coming was better than what they currently had. Is that certain in our lives this morning? To believe that what God has planned for us in the future is better than what we have here and now. Over Grace's 50-year history, there are many people that used to sit here and some of those individuals no longer believe that God's ways are best. And some of those individuals no longer believe that God even exists. But there is a certainty that God's promises are true. And those promises are always best. Despite our inability to see that. And God's promises give hope in verses 17 through 22. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. There was hope in all of the patriarchs. Abraham had hope of a better land, of a better future, of a better city, of a better promise. So much hope that he believed that even if God had to bring Isaac back to life from the dead, he would because God's promises are that sure and that certain. Isaac gives future blessings to Jacob and Esau. Without hope, we do not bless the next generation. But Isaac has hope, even though when he was blessing Jacob, he thought he was blessing Esau. <laughs> Jacob blesses the sons of Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh, and Joseph lines them up so that the right hand of Jacob in his old age would be on the preferred son. And Jacob crosses his hands, and in Joseph's mind, blesses the wrong son. And yet that is not the case. Jacob remembering what that's like, being on the other end of it. And Joseph, even at the end of his life, says, when you go to the land of Israel, when you go back to the promised land, take my bones with you. 
There is hope because of God's promises. Always, always hope. Death is not the end because Jesus Christ is alive. There is always hope. God's promises give that hope. God's goodness is certain. His plans are certain. He makes the future certain. His love is certain. Verses 23 through 28. The story of Moses. How long had it been since the nation of Israel had personally experienced what looked like to them the love of God? They were slaves. How is it that God's chosen people would be enslaved by a foreign nation? How is it that pagan idol worshipers of a plethora of false gods would have power over God's chosen people? You ever had a stretch of waiting? You ever had a stretch where it seems like your prayers hit the ceiling and bounce off? You ever had a season where it feels like God's love is not sure and not certain? Throughout history, there have been many, but certainly the nation of Israel experienced this. God, as I am building bricks for the monuments of Egypt, how is this your love? And even when the so-called Savior shows up, things get worse, not better. How often have we questioned God's love? And yet God's love is always certain. Moses, by faith, only by faith, brings the nation of Israel out of bondage. God's presence and power are certain, verses 29 through 31. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. There are times when God shows up in big ways, and those are memorable, and we carry those with us. There are also times when God does not show up in big ways or shows up in small ways that we don't seem to recognize. But it does not mean that we lack ever his presence or his power. The same God that inflicted 10 plagues in the nation of Egypt and brought his nation Israel out with a mighty hand, parted the Red Sea and performed miracle after miracle is the same God that we serve today. The God that our forefathers here at Grace Baptist Church, our forebearers, believed in is the same God we serve 50 years later, all because of his grace. His presence and power are always certain. What's interesting here is Rahab. The spies looked at Jericho, and similar to their parents who had died because of their unbelief and after they had wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, saw the walled cities, saw the people of Canaan, and realized, oh yeah, dad and grandpa, they were right. This is scary. And yet when the two spies go in, they talk to Rahab. What is Rahab's message to them? It's actually the reverse. We are afraid of you because your God has done the 10 plagues in Egypt. They didn't need social media to spread the word through the ancient Near East. We've heard about your God. 
And this walled city, where at least two chariots could pass each other on top of the wall and not touch, we're in here cowering in fear of your God. And well, they should have, because God drops the walls of Jericho. God's presence and power are certain and are greater than any rival, any other isms, anything else that is out there. Does it feel at this point in our time, in our society, in our culture, that evil has the upper hand? Does it feel that way? It's not true. God doesn't take vacations. God does not need naps. God's presence and power are the same as they've always been. They are certain when all else is not. God's faithfulness is certain, verses 32 through 38, which we read. Now we could put stories to these realities. He mentions six individuals by name and then sort of blanketly all the prophets. But then he talks about conquering kingdoms and enforcing justice and escaping the edge of the sword and women receiving their dead back to life through resurrection. God is faithful when he delivers. Love the story of the three friends of Daniel. They're not arrogant. They're not rude. But they tell Nebuchadnezzar, you can play the orchestra all day. We cannot bow. Now we know the end of the story, so it's easy for us to have courage. Yes, boys, don't worry. Pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, or the angel of the Lord is going to show up in the fire furnace, you're not even going to smell like smoke, it's going to be amazing. They didn't know that. And neither do we as we're going through hard times. But what they say, if God delivers us, glory to his name. If he doesn't, glory to his name. God is faithful when he delivers, and sometimes God does, and he shows up in big ways and delivers us. But God is also faithful when he doesn't. The back half of verse 35 through 38, we've already read that. All of the things, torture, mocked and flogged, sawn in two, Legend has it that the prophet Isaiah was put inside a hollow log and sawed in half, and it wasn't a magician's trick. Killed with the sword of a destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Many down throughout church history and the history of believing in Jesus Christ can testify there are times when God shows up and there's times when God doesn't. All part of his plan and all glory to his name. He is faithful. He is always, always faithful. And lastly, in verses 39 through 40, God's sovereignty is certain. There's not much certain, again, in life. Not much that we can hang our hat on and say, this is sure. But there is someone who is certain, and that is God. He has always been and will always be. His plans are best. His ways are best. And he is sovereign over it all. His timing is perfect. Is perfect. And all these, the ones mentioned and the ones that the pastor, the preacher of Hebrews didn't mention, though commended through their faith. And notice again in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 2. For by it, faith, the people of old received their commendation. It was commendation 
from God because of individuals' faith. They simply trusted in God. God is the one that is to be exalted. But even though they were commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. Not fully. They didn't receive all that God had. Because all of these individuals lived and died before Jesus Christ the righteous. They didn't receive all that we have as we sit here this morning because of Christ. Reminded even in our Bible reading plan of David. He prays a prayer in Psalm 51. God, do not take your spirit from me. And thanks be to God, that is not a prayer that a believer in Jesus Christ ever has to pray. But David had a front row seat. He watched a man who had the Holy Spirit of God, and he watched a man lose the Holy Spirit of God. And Saul was desperate the rest of his life. Would not repent. And at the very end of his life, God is not speaking to him, and he's so desperate. He can't hear from God. He tries the Urim and the Thummim. He tries the Ephod. He tries everything to, to contact God. God is not speaking to him, and he goes so far as to contact the necromancer who brings Samuel up to have a chat with Saul. David says, take it all away, God. Take away the kingship. Take away the fame. Take away the money. Take away the notoriety. Take it all away, but God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And thanks be to God, because of Jesus Christ the righteous, we don't have to pray that prayer. We have received a glimpse of what is coming. The church is a trailer for the movie called The Kingdom of God. As we gather, have gathered faithfully for 50 years, we show a lost and dying world truth. We show a lost and dying world what is certain. Take it all away. Just give me Jesus. And not only is God's timing perfect, but his plan is perfect. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What a beautiful reality it is to be part of the family of God. Globally, and chronologically. That God had something better for us, which is the point of the book of Hebrews. Yes, these Old Testament saints had faith, but we have faith in someone that they were not introduced to, and that is Jesus Christ the righteous, the Son of God. We have a fuller picture of who God is. We have a fuller picture of his plan of redemption. We have all of his revealed word, all of it, all of these blessings. Someone asked me yesterday, we were talking, and does it not seem like God's coming back soon? Seems pretty rough out there. God's timing is perfect and God's plan is perfect. I've used the illustration before, but thanks be to God for his long suffering. If we were to take, say, a hot air balloon and go up above the city of Charlottetown this evening, and God opened our eyes, and we could see every act of sin 
that's committed just in our city of Charlottetown, just for one evening, it would make us sick to our stomach. And God sees every act of sin everywhere around the globe, every moment of every day, and he stays his hand of judgment because he is a God of patience and long-suffering and goodness and kindness and grace and mercy. Not to be presumed upon, but to be believed and trusted in. Thank God for his grace. Grace, God has been faithful to us for 50 years. And should the Lord tarry, God will be faithful to us for another 50 and beyond. What we are called to is to trust him. His goodness is certain. His plans are certain. Especially when they do not match ours. Because our plans are brilliant. I mean, they're awesome. We're awesome. God makes the future certain. God's love is certain. His presence and power are certain. His faithfulness is certain. And his sovereignty is certain. If you're here this morning and don't know him, talk to me, talk to anybody here, talk to someone who brought you. He is the only thing in life that is certain. And for those that know him, are trusting in him, believing in him, in the midst of trial and pain and suffering and sorrow and triumph and goodness, in all of these things, God is certain. He's more certain than our bank accounts. He's more certain than anything tangible. He's more certain than any human relationship. He's more certain than anything in the universe. Follow him with everything you have. That is our message, and hopefully will always be our message from this pulpit. Let's look to him in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. These individuals and many more constitute the cloud of witnesses that the pastor will refer to as he starts Hebrews chapter 12. Encouraging us that we are not the only ones and certainly not the first ones to experience what we are currently experiencing or what we will experience yet in the future. Many have gone before, and some have experienced our journey, and through it all, what marks them out, what does not grant them statues or holidays or acclaim, or what commends them to you is that through it all, they trusted in you. And it is not the strength of their trust, but the object of it, that through it all, with falterings, failings, moments of unbelief, because of your grace, and only because of your grace, they trusted in you, that you are certain. Your ways, and your plans, and your love, and your presence, and your power, and your goodness, and your faithfulness. These things and so much more are certain. Oh God, help us to root and ground our lives in you and you alone and to live for no one else. May it be seen by those around us. Father, as one of the Moravians said, may we serve you, die, 
and be forgotten. It's all for your glory. May it always be from this church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.